Welcome to the Breaking New Ground podcast, hosted by Joel Pennington, head of product at Vim, where we'll explore new ideas and technologies that are shaping the places where we work, play, and live, both today and in the future. Uh, so building information modeling, or BIM, started right here in the USA, but frankly, our friends in Europe and the United Kingdom have done a much better job at getting it adopted. The UK and Nordic region are a shining example of doing BIM right. How do we know this? Well, my guests today are two European BIM evangelists that made the trek across the Atlantic to drive adoption of BIM in the USA. Sanjay Mystery from the UK and Sala Eckhart from Finland. Let's dive into how BIM is being used in their home countries to great effect and why it's imperative Americans benefit from the capabilities of homegrown BIM right here in the USA. Hey, Sala. Hey, Sanjay. Hi, Joel. Hi, Sanjay. Pleasure to be here. Hey, Joel. Hey, Sala. It's a pleasure to, uh, to be here today. Uh, looking forward to this discussion. Okay, cool. Well, Sala, let's start with you. Um, BIM seems like a catchy term that gets tossed around a lot, uh, but I'm pretty sure a bunch of us are, you know, not really clear as to what it entails. Can you set the record straight and tell us what on earth is BIM? Uh, that's a good opening question. And um, just to kind of clarify for the audience, um, uh, I started my BIM journey over 20 years ago, and I was a uh, one of the original researchers for how BIM can be applied into uh, design and engineering and into digital construction. And so my perspective to BIM is pretty much what um, the the industry is talking about today as digital twins. But then to kind of uh, simplify what BIM as an acronym is, from my perspective, it is the building information model it is the building information modeling process, but it's also the building information management process that I is see. oftentimes overlooked because people are so wowed with the 3D models and, and the beautiful renderings from it. But the information management part is uh, where my uh, focus is on and where my passion is. Okay, so dive into that management piece. Is is this like a grand challenge that, you know, we have to jump onto for the betterment of our industry? But just give me up to speed with what uh, it means in terms of day-to-day -day workflows. When um, organizations like real estate owners or developers are defining their BIM execution plans with their uh, AEC teams, uh, the architects, engineers, and, and contractors, uh, there is a need for defining the level of definition, uh, which is the level of detail and the level of information. And with that, when they are creating the building information models, that they are embedding the critical amount of information into the models, but then hosting maturity of the information outside of the models to keep them lighter and easier to manage but that they are fully integrated with other information management systems so that the data can be free, more free-flowing between the different organizations that need to tap into the same data 
but refine it into different information. So when thinking about the projects and and how data is uh, traditionally speaking very fragmented and and it's locked away behind the individuals that are creating the data. Right. With BIM workflow, we are democratizing the data so that people can be more independent in finding answers to the the trivial questions that they have, which are oftentimes related to uh, the the quantities or the location of of assets that are going to be installed into the the real world. And can you tell us how uh, regions in Europe started to grab on to some of these BIM practices and basically leapfrog ahead of where BIM was being implemented or, or used elsewhere? So the difference between different markets it depends on the contracts and, and what is the obligation of different stakeholders. Um, in the United States, mm-hmm. the architect is responsible for creating the design intent, but also for collecting the as-built. In Europe, oftentimes, the, the architect creates the documentation for design for construction. So they are already creating something that can be built from. And right. the general contractors are responsible for the as-built. Uh, and that way, the process is a little bit different. Uh, and the end result or the, the outcomes from the design processes are, are a little bit different. Gotcha. And so would you say in your experience that it can be done better outside of the United States because the processes that were in place, and that's why we see even at the government level, um, adoption of BIM in the United Kingdom, in, in certain Nordic countries? There's an interesting question. Are they doing something better or not? The, the process is slightly different, but then again, uh, they've adapted to uh, industrialized construction more. So things are produced in factory conditions more than on-site. Um, and that puts its own flavor into the design process overall that you are designing for a fabrication or designing for manufacturing. And that way, the, the end results might be slightly different, but the, the projects overall are very different. Uh, projects here in the United States, they, they are usually much bigger than what we see in Europe. And it's a, like the complicated mm-hmm. nature and, and the complicated size of the projects are also a factor in what is the optimal way of, of designing things and and what are the accountabilities and responsibilities of, of different stakeholders. But they're thinking about the tools that are available for everyone. They are in key role in enabling the re-engineering of processes and, and taking a look at what are the, the useful parts of the traditional way of delivering projects and how might we actually digitally transform and let go of some of the the traditional ways of working. Tell us about the desire to come to the United States and bring your BIM knowledge here. <laughs> yeah, good one. So um, that desire existed for a very long time. And when the opportunity to move to the United States after getting my green card uh, came, um, it, it was a, a full freedom to restart and reconfigure what was the the career track that I wanted to pursue. And since I was already trained as an architect back in Finland, and I had done long years of 
academic and applied research and development and few years of architectural design and, and structural engineering, it was uh, the perfect time to uh, jump on board with general contracting and see what were the um, development needs or opportunities in general contracting side uh, and talking about digital construction these days. And then when the opportunity arise to uh, uh, hop on board with real estate owner organizations, that started to close the loop uh, and help me uh, start developing the new framework of digital building lifecycle. So United States is the, the perfect market for creating that that uh, loop, that digital building mm-hmm. lifecycle and, and um, be connected to uh, all the different stakeholders that are part of it. Cool. So, so opportunities abound. Uh, Sanjay, is that what brought you to the United States too, from the United Kingdom, where BIM is being implemented very well as well? Well, BIM wasn't one of the reasons I came over, uh, but you know, it, it definitely is now. Uh, and uh, and but the thing is, is that you know the UK has kind of standardized BIM since twenty. 20- Na- 2009 2010 something along those lines and mm-hmm. you know for all government projects at that point you know my soiree into bim and bringing bim to the to the us was um through a number of other means but it is about you know the uk is such a smaller market than the U- the us it's easier to implement things like this and it's a challenge in the us because you know it's such a vast country and it's almost like the Wild West. Right. Speaking of challenges, we know one of the big challenges that faces us is we've seen statistics from the UN Green Building Council that says over 40% of all CO2 emissions are from buildings, you know, not cars. So uh, a question to both of you, how does BIM play a role in reducing the carbon footprint from our buildings. You know, one of the areas where BIM plays a, a huge role in in carbon footprint is where it can be applied and where it's not applied today. Uh, and that's why there is such a high demand of this. And I think it comes down to supply chain. Uh, the data is not transferred across. And I believe, and what I've heard and seen in talking to not just building owners, but architects and general contractors, that the data does not get transferred. You know the data sits at the top end of the t- pyramid. Uh, it's yeah, right. and it and it's not accessible to the rest of the organization. And I think this is why there's such a uh, a high pollution rate um, and and CO two um, rate in that way because uh, people aren't getting that information. And when you when you get that, I suppose you know there's overcompensation in regards to over ordering of materials or overworking on a on a job site which raises those factors and if and then the building is also then a, a an element of it not being um running correctly in regards to its the the health of the building is probably the best way to put that uh you know into the you know once it's up and running and so forth it may not be running as efficiently as it should because maybe there were shortcuts because data wasn't translated across and the right uh, equipment wasn't impl- installed and uh, and that then leads into obviously inefficient buildings and uh, uh, higher pollution rates and things like that. Right. 
BIM can definitely uh, help reduce or avoid unnecessary carbon um, creation. Because um, well, when thinking about what BIM enables, um, it enables use of uh, simulation and anal analysis tools that can help us calculate the embodied carbon or operational carbon and other things when the building is only in its digital form. And if thinking about the technical life cycle of a building and the total project lead time that it takes to actually build one, uh, we had very different time spans compared to cars. The, the cars that we have on our roads, they are much likely uh, much younger products than what our buildings are. And, and when choices of different materials are made, it, it's much later in the technical life cycle of the building that we actually know how that building and how those materials and systems are performing uh, technically um, during the operations phase. So there, there is a need for continuing to develop those uh, simulation and analysis tools that can be uh, integrated with BIM, the, with the BIM models and, and other data resources that Sanjay mentioned, that we can actually start to federate structured data for the benefit of the, the decision makers and really right. bring the evidence and data forward for them to see that if you make a decision of a specific product today or a specific system today, then what is the likely outcome from all that so that you can be more yeah. predictive and preventative of what kind of legacy you're leaving behind. So it's a, it's a very multifaceted question that um, how can we actually prevent issues from becoming problems, but BIM can definitely be one of the tools that we could use for being more educated about the decisions. Well, that that's perfectly in line too with what Leonid Riaz always envisioned for Revit when he started the Revit Technology Corporation, and it was to bring manufacturing process to construction. And, you know, he said to our boss, Errol Wolford, uh, I want to be able to simulate the construction of a building and simulate its operations before we ever break ground. And that was uh, 20 years ago that they, they talked about that. So, heck, if we think we can get there in the next uh, couple of years, that would be great. So environmental benefits aside, can you, Sala, talk to us about the owner of the building and why BIM accessibility for them is actually really, really important. It's it's not like a a nice to have. It's a necessary. It's a necessary thing to have. Yeah, from owner's perspective, BIM is very necessary for for the owners to understand that what what are they actually investing in, and when the owners are trying to steer the design process and and when they have the expectations of what is being built, BIM really enables the different stakeholders to communicate to the real estate owner that what are they actually getting from the overall process and what is the, the capital expense that they are initially investing in the physical artifact creating for them. And then when thinking about the owners that some owners are developing a build environment to sell it as if they would sell stocks. 
But then you have uh, real estate owners that are uh, creating and, and developing to hold on to their portfolio, that they have a little bit different mm -hmm. time spans that they are looking at. But then data that can be structured with, with uh, BIM and how the BIM is the digital replica of the physical environment, you have more clarity into uh, what what assets are you actually owning and what what is the feasible uh, investment that or the return of investment that you are making from owning the, those physical artifacts actually. Um, creating for your organization. So it's a it's a way of communicating to the real estate owner that how can they actually plan for the total total um, life cycle ownership and, mm -hmm. and plan for also the, the operational uh, cost and not only for the, the capital cost. What would you say today to firms that want to make the leap to leverage BIM? I'd say that the, it's good to start uh, developing their own uh, like digital core strategy and digital transformation strategy and, mm -hmm. and then start thinking about what they want to uh, create as an outcome uh, so that the BIM is is a tool and a methodology for them to achieve those new goals. Um, and once they have the BIM strategy, then it's easier to start thinking about the digital twin strategy as well and how... Right external data sources can be linked together and federated together to create the understanding of the total cost of ownership, but also the total performance of your built environment. Got it. And do any projects come to mind that really start to, um, to showcase this thinking, this thought process? Um, or is it, is it still kind of early? The digital building life cycle thinking and, and life cycle thinking is probably pretty emerging framework. And right. so the, the projects that have already been delivered or on their way of being delivered, they do have the opportunity to start adopting to it and start making sure that the information that is being created in those projects are actually structured and, and they are pulled into a cloud platform so that they are easily accessible later on and easily integratable for the emerging technologies that are spearheading the markets at the moment. Uh, and that way being very proactive and predictive about what, what are we anticipating uh, from the future of technology development and building up the readiness of the end users, the people, yeah. so that they right. don't become the roadblock. Okay. So maybe just on that end user theme, when I hear the word real-time BIM, I can think of what that means, but I'd love to know what that means to you, Sala, when you hear real-time BIM. What does that mean for you and the AEC pros that you work with? To me, um, real-time BIM means that the available latest and the greatest data is made accessible for everyone on the project at the same time. Data should not be siloed anymore. Uh, it should not be something that people have to uh, know to ask for, but it should be something that is made available. And then depending on what your role on the project is, it can be pre-filtered and, and that way made more consumable and accessible um, and targeted. But then you're not limited to only that scope of data that you might need at that phase in time or at that phase of the project. 
but you can always continue adding to it depending on what your your decision making needs are. But right. um, that's that's how I um, think about uh, real time BIM. Over to you, Sanjay. Real time BIM. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? <laughs> first thing that comes to my mind is I think accessibility. The more I've spoken to building owners, the more pain I see and hear from them in regards to how the data is not being translated or being, you know, or made accessible. Tools are, the tools that we're using today, unfortunately, are creating, as Sala just said, creating knowledge silos. You know, what we need to be able to do here is is have platforms or technology that enable people to have access to that data with a single source of truth, which comes through that as well. And what I mean by right. that is, you know, anyone and everyone, I suppose it should be a process that is connected. And our industry today, unfortunately, if, if BIM is to be successful in the USA, um, you know, like it is in other countries, then we need to make sure that those processes are connected. And I believe that they're not uh, right now, you know, everyone works in those silos, which breaks things down. And, and BIM could actually be a bit of a glue that connects everyone together because it will give everyone that single source of truth. It will give everyone access to the information, but it does have to be in real time. And, and that can only happen if it's, if it's all connected. And that connectability comes through some, from some form of real-time platform. And Sanjay, uh, folks may not know this, but you have been pushing real-time BIM for a long time. And in fact, it started when you started uh, or you created a division at Unity for real-time BIM. Tell us, why did you go there? What was your, your motive? My motive there, actually, it was a, it's, well, a long story gone sh cut short. Let's put it this way. Sure. I was approached by Unity you know, with my architectural background and having worked in the film industry and then the games industry. But the, the reality of it came down to is, is that a couple of directors at Unity could see that they were getting some traction with architectural firms wanting to use real-time technology for rendering purposes. More on the visualization side, uh, creating interactive experiences and so forth. But as you know, I explained to them right at the beginning, there's actually more to this from you know for Unity than uh, than there were, than there is just meets the eye. The visualization part is a very small component of things. Right. And so that's what really led me into that. And then I put, as I was there, the education of a teaching BIM and con construction and building practices to a game engine company was a challenge. Uh, and sure, then, you I know, bet. and then on the flip side, you're you're trying to teach and learn, uh, um, teach people on the construction side, the uh, the knowledge, uh, you know, information and so forth, and the advances. Of using a game engine like Unity, and but you mix both of those together, and and it's taken a, a lot of time, uh, you know, uh, to actually for those pennies to drop and for people to engage in that discussion. But as we, as we know today, there are game engine companies out there that have real time solutions. It's kind of edging its way, you know, where it should be. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, I still think there's a there's a long way before wider adoption is taken into place and also as you just mentioned you know real-time bim coming in um you know regarding the sharing of knowledge because some of these tools whether they're game engines or not are still uh, a bottleneck and they're still 
you know, quite cumbersome to use. Right. So speaking of accessibility and, and wider adoption, why did you make the move to Vim after leading the charge at Unity? The current CEO uh, decided that, um, you know, him coming in, new CEO needing to focus the company from David Helgeson, uh, who was the founder or co-founder of Unity and, and who had hired me at the time. He needed to actually focus on games, get, you know, anything else outside of that was a distraction for Unity. And Unity being a games company had to focus on that because that's where 99% of its customers were. Uh, all of the other, you know, AEC and uh, architecture and so forth and manufacturing were, you know, maybe 1% of the business. And it was, um, it's a, you need a lot of commitment and also, um, patience to get mm -hmm. a new business up and running in that way, especially even in an organization as, as you know, well known as unity is. Uh, and, and that's, that's a given fact. You can't just overnight be able to get a new product out there. It takes time. It takes, uh, you know, adoption. It, there's go to market, there's market fit and lots of other things that we have to think about. So they right. decided not to do that. And so the reason why we created Vim uh, with Arrol, uh, I met with Arrol whilst I was at Unity actually, because he was running another company at the time, which was using Unity. And uh, and I just said, look, Arrol, there's an opportunity here that we could partner together and uh, and take, you know, work on the same business. We partner with Unity at the time. And uh, we can create a business here where we continue to push real-time game engine technology into the AEC market. And that's how Vim was created. And and the reason for that is, is because I still believe in that factor of that game engines are the future of, of this industry and, and the way our technology is going to work and the way our technology is going to be implemented and make uh, data accessible is going to be through real-time engines of some sort. And right. I don't think it's through conventional, um, you know, software from that side of things. So that's how Vim was born. Got it. And and Sala, it's obviously so important that uh, as many people get access to this data and that it, it meets them where they are today uh, and it's not locked up in a bunch of walled gardens. So you've got a new, uh, you have a new position with the National BIM Steering Committee. Tell us about that. That's a cool one. So I was invited to be the, the chair for the, the National BIM Steering Committee for National Institute of Building Sciences. That is a U.S. government program. And uh, we are we are going to be uh, helping out how, how do we uh, continue developing the national BIM standards for this market and continue learning from what has already been done in other markets and really help digitally transform the, the built environment industry here in the United States. And um, the, the committee members, they were chosen and appointed just a, a few weeks ago, and we are now um, getting ready to have our first kickoff meeting and, and that way get started on this journey. Awesome. So how is it going to impact us here in the United States? And frankly, um, will it Will it have a an outsized impact on our BIM friends back in Europe? 
So hopefully here um, we, we can really start peppering in more of the real estate or infrastructure owner's point of view so that uh, BIM is not only seen as a, a way of uh, creating drawings faster or or creating the renderings, but it, it is more tied into the, the digital building lifecycle and, and thinking about how do we uh, accumulate the data across right. the, the different stakeholders. Um, so that point of view is probably going to be pretty unique compared to what has been done uh, in Europe. And um, the Europeans have been spearheading the adoption of BIM for the design processes and and digital construction processes. But it might be that in, in overall, all markets, real estate owners and, and real estate overall has been a little bit disconnected from mm-hmm. the BIM processes and, and the BIM guidelines, BIM standards and BIM platforms. So hopefully this will be a, something that is groundbreaking and will, will um, show the, the direction of the future of BIM usage. Fantastic. Okay, Sanjay, any wise words of wisdom for our podcast listeners? Any wise words of wisdom? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's about wise words of wisdom. I, you know, I, I just want to say that to enable BIM to happen, you know, someone's, you, we've all got to take the, the cha- make the change. And, and for, you know, there are technologies and tools out there that are, uh, are advanced you know, in helping you to make make that change and make it happen as well. So I know that there's this whole factor and, and there is sometimes, you know, a, a matter of like going, well, we've always done it this way, so we should just continue. But right. unfortunately, that's going to leave you behind if you don't move on with the times. And and if you're going to want to kind of be, you know, in this in this building industry for the next 10, 15, 20 years or something along those lines, then you're going to have to implement BIM, and you're going to have to implement and start using new technologies, maybe game engines, um, you know, and and real time tools that will help your organization to, um, you know, become more fluid, to become more transparent in that in that conversational piece, and and share that data across the the actual uh, supply chain that we work with, and and cut out those silos, just like they've done in manufacturing and and other industries which have seen massive productivity gains. You know, we're a victim of our own, uh, you know, from that side of not of not being able to get those. So, you know, whenever you're thinking about this, if I'm talking to the audience in regards to our, our industry, it's not always about the way we've done it is right. Maybe sometimes technology can help and assist you in, in making things a little bit better and, and smoothing things out for the future as well. Thanks, Sanjay. Okay, Sala, take us home. Any any parting words to share with our podcast listeners. Yeah, thank you, Joel. Um, I hope that our podcast listeners uh, picked up on the digital building lifecycle and start thinking about what, what it might mean for their organization so that they can start adapting to the right use of BIM. And like Sanjay said, that the technology is here to help people do things better than they, they've been able to do before. And BIM is an important tool in the future of uh, our built environment and how we uh, plan to uh, design, plan, design and, and build it so that we can really build things digitally before we build them or assemble them physically. And if, if people are still 
managing processes that are very tedious or very manual, there there is now the right time to start automating more of those processes and adapting to uh, BIM tools and other digital construction tools and and start focusing more on the communications across project teams and and helping others on the same project be more productive and and help you out as well. Perfect. Well, folks, we're out of time. I want to thank Sala and Sanjay for joining us today as we explored BIM, its roots, how it is uh, differed between Europe and the United States, and how BIM pros like Sanjay and Sala are bringing about a digital building life cycle renaissance to the United States. Thanks, folks. <laughs>